your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. So the scandal surrounding the presidential office has caused a major furore, of course, within our own borders, but actually across the world as well. And who is it that brings that news outside of Korea? Of course, foreign correspondents play a key role there. And we're going to have a series of interviews this week with journalists based here who are responsible for communicating what's happening in South Korea to the outside. We begin with Anna Fifield, foreign correspondent for the Washington Post, focusing on the Koreas and Japan. Good morning to you. Great to have you on the line. Good morning, Alex. Great to be here. Yeah, I've seen your name in print so many times. <laughs> now it's a pleasure to put a voice <laughs> a to the person. name. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what would you say overall has been the Washington Post's uh, approach to this? We, we came from that position that I, I mentioned before introducing you where you know, everyone was talking about this shaman behind the scenes and that was a very alluring image, of course, uh, but it didn't exactly tell the truth either. Right. Well, I mean, I think at the beginning, the story got a lot of coverage because the details were just um, so fantastical in a way. Like you say, there was the shaman factor. There was the, um, the dr whole dressage component. There was the Prada shoe that was lost on the way in. And just like it was, it seemed like a soap opera at the beginning, all of the details that were coming out. But obviously it became pretty serious very soon. And I mean, whenever you have the leader of a major industrial power that is um, facing such widespread calls for their resignation and is eventually, you know, the parliament votes to impeach them, that's a huge news story. And especially for the U.S., which um, has Korea as a, as a major ally in Asia. So there's been an intense amount of interest in this story. Indeed. I mean, you've written about the uh, disease of corruption here in, in Korea, which possibly gets at this in, in the most real way, in the sense that this, this has been going on for some time and, and some people perhaps had allowed themselves to believe that we were nearing a cure, but uh, maybe it's just as bad as ever. What would you suggest? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's been part of the puzzle of this story and that a lot of readers and people in the U.S. have been asking me, like, why are Koreans so upset about this particular case? Like, aren't all presidents in Korea corrupt? Aren't all politicians in Korea corrupt? And so just explaining that, that the fact that, yes, every president since democracy has become embroiled in some kind of bribery scandal along the way, um, but this one is different because it is the president herself. It is like everybody else. It was their father or their son or their brother or whatever. But this is the president who is right at the heart of this. And um, and I think it's also been feeding off the fact that there was a lot of dissatisfaction with Park and hers travel uh, handling of the Sewol ferry disaster and just kind of mistrust in her. She was known to be so aloof. Um, and so removed, not really taking advice from even her own advisors. So the fact that she was um, listening to a woman who was yeah, clearly unqualified to give any kind of policy advice really has made this scandal different from previous ones. 
And uh, one of your jobs, especially for the Washington Post, is to place this in a context that US readers will connect with. I mean, this is no doubt a fascinating story, but if people feel removed from it, then they're not going to take an interest in all those fascinating details. And and one of the ways in which you did that was to speak with uh, an interviewee who made those comparisons very early on with the Watergate scandal in the United States. This was long before uh, the impeachment, actually. So... Um, was that something that you deliberately set out to do or did you stumble across that through an interview? Because it got attention yeah. here in Korea. Right, yeah, I saw it got picked up in a lot of headlines in Korea. Um, it was something I stumbled across, really. It was I, I talked to a whole bunch of analysts, both in Korea and in the US, about this situation. And um, several people had actually said to me that this is Korea's Watergate or had made parallels with Puck and, and Richard Nixon, saying the only way for Puck and to get out of this is to resign, like Nixon did. Um, but the comparisons with Watergate have all really centered on the fact, I mean, like you say, first of all, this puts it in context for American readers. They're like, ah, oh, it's, it's like Korea's Watergate. But what people were telling me was that it was bigger than Watergate mm. because the scope of this scandal was so much wider, like... Watergate was clearly focused on an illegal activity, but it was one, whereas this, or one specific incident, whereas this is so wide-ranging, like it incorporates university admissions, already a hot topic in Korea, plus the chebol and the powers that they have and the kind of institutionalization of of Korea and how, um, you know, it taps into this whole Hell-Chosan idea that it's impossible to get ahead in Korea these days. And this is part of the reason why, because everything is so interwoven. And if you're not part of that system, you can't get ahead. So I think that is um, has a line that has really uh, explained the scandal to uh, to for the foreign audience to be able to say this is much wider and yes. serious, even in Watergate. <sighs> Another area of confusion for some foreign onlookers has been why so many people were initially animated by this. And I think that confusion was then replaced by amazement at just seeing photos of millions of people protesting and then praising the peaceful nature of that. Can you just deal with that double-edged sword for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was amazed myself. Like, I was in Korea and uh, during Nomuhyun's era and the first years of Im Myung-bak, and I remember being out there at the beef protests of 2008, and it was nothing like this. You know, it was uh, there was a very real fear that things could get out of hand. Um, whereas this, it was incredible to be there at some of these protests and to see the kind of festive atmosphere. It was almost like karaoke on the streets and Nore Bang out at Gwanghwamun there with the big jumbotron signs showing yeah. the words to the songs and families and picnics. And it felt like a, a big act of solidarity from Korean people all uniting together um, to say, you know, we, you have to go in a very peaceful and nonviolent way. So even in the Korean context, it seemed like this had a very different tone from previous protests I'd covered. Um, but anytime you have such a huge number of people protesting and for so many weeks on end, of course, that is going to be big news in the same way that we covered, you know, the Arab Spring uprising or mm. the um, Black Lives Matter protests in the U.S. Like this is a, a, like a lot of people turning out to make their thoughts clear. So to see this happening in Korea in this way was really something. Well, in, in that respect, this, this could be... Um a benchmark moment for other countries who could see the way this has developed here in South Korea. You know, clearly we, we might draw comparisons with other protest movements 
just in terms of pure numbers, but uh, this has gone further and we've spoken already in this interview about uh, the disease of corruption. Do you think that there's enough of a movement actually to root that out and see something positive come out of it? Yeah, maybe. Some people I've talked to in Korea have said, you know, this could be another turning point for Korea and it's, you know, ongoing, um, not democratization, but evolution. And that just as 1987 was a, a pivotal moment for Korea and precipitated all of these kind of democratic changes that now this could be a moment obviously not the same magnitude as democratization but that this could act as a trigger for um, institutional change in Korea so we could see changes to the presidential system of course which a lot of people are supporting but also to the part political party system uh, and perhaps you know maybe we could see some changes to the way the chebol operates um, I'm not particularly hopeful on that front, but, mm. but this certainly is a kind of catalyst for, for change. And now you'll be covering the Constitutional Court case that starts with that preparatory hearing uh, this Thursday. We've already seen Chesson Shields' case get underway this week. And, and this is where justice obviously needs to be done. The public will demand nothing less. The thing is, if justice also happens to coincide with President Park's innocence, we could see a situation where, you know, the democratic process is undermined by the public demands because they've already decided who's guilty in this without a legal case. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think we are in for an interesting few months and that two of the justices from the Constitutional Court will step down at the beginning of next year. And I very much doubt that the Prime Minister would uh, appoint replacements for them during this time of limbo. So by March, we could see only seven justices on the court. Six of them would have to vote to uphold the impeachment motion. So I think even just kind of um, through that, like procedurally, there are lots of hiccups that could possibly come about during the way before they, you know, during this period before they even get to the to the legal decision. So I think we are in for an interesting yeah. few months as the court dis, um, decides this. But also the timing is so terrible because we are also in this period of uncertainty in the U.S. with yes. the Trump administration coming in, people not really sure about what his policies are going to be, especially when it comes to the Korean Peninsula. So we have this real kind of time of uncertainty both in Washington and in Seoul right now. Just, just finally, though, how do you as a foreign correspondent deal with the evidence? You saw what happened previously uh, with the Asahi Shimbun when uh, details get printed and how life can become difficult for journalists. Um, there's a lot of claims out there, not all of which are substantiated, but as I said, they have fueled this idea that the president is guilty even before the Constitutional Court has made its ruling. Yeah, I mean, we, obviously we have to be really careful with the details and report um, facts, only facts as facts, and everything else to be very careful. Um, like I can report things like that people are angry, that people believe or that people are exaggerating some of these claims or they're willing to believe the most, um, you know, the worst case scenarios. So I think that's a way to explain the anger, but also to um, convey to our readers that some of this stuff is not yet proven. And also to put both sides of the case, like I will be reporting that uh, Park and his lawyers have said that the impeachment motion should not stand, that it's not right. legally justified, that he hasn't had a chance. So just as any story, always put both sides of the of the case and then um, let the facts speak for themselves. Anna Fifield, thank you so much for joining us today, for being the first in our series of foreign correspondents on this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. 
Anna Fifield. Our pleasure there speaking from the Washington Post Seoul Bureau. You can tweet us your thoughts right now at EFM this morning. Would you like to send a message to foreign correspondents? Are you concerned that life is being made unnecessarily difficult for them? Do you think the government has gone too far in the past, for example, in putting pressure on both domestic and foreign journalists? Maybe that's one of the positive things that can also come out of this is changing that culture.